0: Hear now the word of God, as I will be reading out of John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. And then I'll be skipping down and reading John 10, verses 25 through 30. Hear now the word of God. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, Sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing the very word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these comforting words. We thank you for... The promise and the proclamation that we have a good shepherd and that for those who are his sheep we are eternally protected father help us now to hear the shepherd's voice help us to know the shepherd and follow him according to his word in jesus name we pray amen you may be seated I told you all that, that we were going to. It's actually been, I think, a total. I said I was going to do six sermons on Acts, and we were going to have one more on. Does anybody know what today's S was supposed to be in the flow? I, I know it's been two weeks, so. It would be fair if you don't remember, but there were two more S's that I have not covered to finish out what I was going to say. Is the the five S's, and today would have been fourth, and then there would be one more next Sunday. Does anybody remember what today is? And that was the last one. Just good guess based upon the passage today. Oh, we did that one already. What the <laughs> Trinity? <laughs> stoning? Stunning. No. Stunning. Studying. That's right, studying. They said stoning. They were going to learn how to stone people. It no. was <laughs> no, studying, studying. And then as I was preparing the, the sermon on studying, I thought, you know, it really needs to be both. It needs to be studying and shepherding. And so if you look there in the, the uh, order of worship, I titled today's sermon, Studying Sheep. Now, there's... It's a bit of a double meaning here, that we are called to be sheep that study, but as we consider the calling for shepherds, they are to know their sheep. They are to know their sheep because the great shepherd knows their sheep. So it's a merger of both, that as we are all who are called by his name are called to study, We are also those who are called to lead when there are those who are leading. They are to know in any kind of role, but particularly here we're talking about the church, but all people who have any kind of calling to lead in a covenantal way throughout the Scripture. Are to know those whom they lead. They are to know their sheep. And we have, as we see here in John 10, the great shepherd, the shepherd of all shepherds, the example that he knows his sheep. But what does his sheep do? What do they do? What do we just read? What do Jesus' sheep do? They hear his voice. They listen to his voice. In John 10, we have not only the proclamation that he is the good shepherd and that he is the one who is the true shepherd, but that he has sheep. At that time, he was saying there are these sheep of this fold, and there are sheep that are not of this fold that are going to be one with his other sheep. Who is he talking about? The Gentiles. And so here in Acts 15, we see in the proclamation and the preaching that the debate and the question that is at hand is how do these Gentiles be considered to be sheep? And where did this come from and what should they do and how are they saved? And they go back to the word and say that it's always been and it is always consistent with Scripture that God was going to call them and they're going to be saved just like We are saved. We are going to be saved by the good shepherd. And so today I want to go through and I want to think about this relationship between sheep and shepherds as we are all following the great shepherd. And I want to start out with the larger catechism because I believe that question 159 and 160 are a wonderful explanation. This is in the larger catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith. A really good example of how this relationship works, and, and this is a good reason why I feel like that it was good to combine this sermon into one. This will also conclude chapter fifteen, and we'll finally move on to chapter sixteen. I kind of felt like that maybe y'all are ready to move on. We've overlapped this chapter in many different ways, and I think I've covered the themes very thoroughly. And could continue on probably for months. If, to get, you know, deep down into it, but I think that it would be good for us to move on. But if you hear them now for me, um, and, and make a note and go back, and if you actually need me to send you references to these, it would be good. But I think these two questions and answers are really good in helping us. In 159 of the larger catechism, it says, How is the word of God to be preached by those that are called thereunto? The answer is... They that are called to labor in the ministry of the word are to preach sound doctrine diligently in season and out of season, plainly, not in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, faithfully, making known the whole counsel of God, wisely, applying themselves to the necessities in the capacities of the hearers, zealously, with fervent love to God and the souls of his people, sincerely aiming at his glory and their conversion, edification, and salvation. That as those who are called to preach and teach the Word of God, they are to do this in sound doctrine, diligently, in season and out of season, and to do it in a way that communicates to the sheep, but in demonstration of the Spirit. It is a challenging thing to contemplate to think that God would give this responsibility to men, but actually at the same time It is not the men who are going to accomplish the fulfillment of that delivery of that word. It is in the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of the Holy Spirit. So as that is one thing to be focusing on, and we'll see this and I'll highlight this in the passage today, they are still called to be those who study the sheep who apply themselves in such a way that they consider the necessities and the capacities of the hearers. And that is a challenging thing. You have, when you have sheep, you have different kinds of sheep. You have sheep that are young and some that are old. You have some sheep that are easily distracted and some that are easily captivated. And to be able to do that is a tremendous challenging challenge for any of the under shepherds of the great shepherd. But then there is this great hope and comfort that it's going to be the spirit that ultimately brings about the conversion and edification and the salvation of the people that belong to the good shepherd, to the great shepherd. And therefore, the aim of all preaching should be at his glory. Question number 160. It says, so now you hear what is required of the preacher and the teacher. What is required of those that hear the word preached? So this is the requirement of all of us sheep, including me. Answer, it is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer, examine what they hear by the scriptures, receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer of it. Hide in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. There is a lot of work for the sheep, that it is not just that their sheep are going to lay there on their back, and it's just going to fill them up, that God has called them to seek out the shepherd, to seek out the food through the under-shepherds in which God has given. There is diligence and preparation and prayer but always the guarding and keeping with making sure that it is examined by the very word of God. Here in Acts chapter 15, that we've gone over multiple times already now, you can see that there are two primary components of what is being communicated and what the Jerusalem Council is ultimately seeking to achieve. First of all, it is to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. It is to proclaim his work of salvation. It is to take away and to argue against any doctrine that wants to steal the glory of Jesus Christ away and put it upon the works of man. And so they are focusing on the work and the word of Jesus Christ. And that pretty much gets you from verse 1 all the way to 21. And as you're making that transition over to 21, you see around 19 that they are seeking to how to apply the reality of the truth of the right doctrine of the work and the glory of Jesus Christ, how to apply it to the Gentile Christians as they're dealing with the controversy of circumcision, but also as they want to know what can they provide for them as they teach them the truth of salvation, how shall they apply it into their lives and actually shepherd these sheep? In verse 19, it says, Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those Gentiles who turn to God, but write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Now, it's a little choppy of a sentence to hear there, but what basically is being said is that now that they've gone back, and what they did is they went back and he read Amos, and he explained how Amos has been one that confirms that the Gentiles would be saved just like anybody, it would be by the grace of the Lord Jesus through faith. We see that in verse 11 that this going to be the same salvation for the Gentiles who believe as it is for them. It is God's grace. And then they use the scriptures to interpret their proclamation, which becomes scripture. And now they are saying, so as we go and we shepherd these sheep in the truth, we're actually going to go and we're going to teach them the very truth that's always been proclaimed in the synagogues, that's been proclaimed of old, which is the word of God, and they refer to Moses. Now, interestingly enough, in the very beginning of this controversy, it was the Judaizers who were saying they must be circumcised and obey all of the law of Moses. They were referring to Moses. But what these particular under-shepherds did is saying that the circumcision was pointing to the work of Jesus Christ. But they also balance by not neglecting and abandoning the law of God. They said, as we teach what the law of God ultimately was pointing to, we're going to teach them to obey the things of the law that they should do when it comes to obeying and following after the character of this great Jesus Christ. This is a a big debate for the church as a whole today. That a lot of people are stuck with, okay, I get that as Jesus gives us grace, and he gives us grace for our brokenness, I am so thankful for that grace, now I can just live my life at peace and do as I please. But that is not what's being preached. It was not the calling of the church. It is not a defining characteristic of the church that here they, they preached about the shepherd, they were teaching how to be shepherded and how the sheep should study the shepherd, to know the shepherd. So as we think about the calling of what the studying sheep should do, first, it, the sheep are called to seek out the shepherd. Secondly, they are to know the shepherd and they are to follow the the shepherd. And they are to show the shepherd. So the sheep have a responsibility, just as we see here in the larger catechism, is to seek out diligently. That it is God. We know that it is His Spirit, it is His work that has accomplished this. We know clearly that it is not the work of our hands and the work of our own hearts that bring about our salvation we know that it is the shepherd he is the one who calls his sheep he's the one who paid it all who paid for his sheep but there is a response for the sheep to be studying sheep it should be sheep sheep <laughs> that sheep that look at the shepherd and contemplate to look for him to look for every element that points toward him and to seek him out and then to know him by knowing his word by being in his word nothing that is going on here in this particular chapter can give us any indication that because they said that there is no need for circumcision that there is no need to know the law it is the very contrary it is they were explaining the purposes of the old covenant And they were teaching us and shepherding how to hold on to the very essence of the things that are found in his word. They did not abandon the Old Testament. They did not abandon the word. They actually preached and proclaimed it. And the first thing we see here in verse 12 of chapter 15, it says that all the assembly fell silent and then they listened to Barnabas and Paul. What we see about the book of Acts is that as the Lord has accomplished his work and he is building his church, he fills his church with the Holy Spirit. And then he appoints under shepherds to be his representative as they are shepherding the sheep. And so just as we see in John 10 that Jesus's sheep will listen to the shepherd, we are called to listen to the under shepherds that the shepherd, the good shepherd, has appointed. And so they are listening to Barnabas and Paul because they are proclaiming the word of Christ. And then we go further, and it says that the shepherds are taking all that they know from the word of God, and then they are applying it, just as we see there in the answer in the confession, that they are acting on what seems good, They're taking both the wisdom of God, the word of God, and the knowledge of the sheep, imitating the great shepherd and trying to understand the sheep. And then time and time again, through chapter 15, verses 22 through 35, they say it seems good. It seemed good. So much in that they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. That we would shepherd in this way, that we would teach in this way, that we would not trouble them with false doctrine, that we would protect them with false doctrine. And so we are shown here that God has appointed shepherds, and that we can trust the good shepherd and how He makes his kingdom known. Now, this is a difficult thing for us, because we see how under-shepherds fail. But in John 10. What were we given there at the very end of what I read there that is a great comfort to us? What did it say that will not happen to his sheep? They will not be snatched away. That we can trust him and we can seek out to trust his under shepherds, having confidence in his protection. We do call, the church does, is called to appoint elders and to, to call elders and to seek out those among them and you're to try to find trustworthy people. I am your pastor. I am somewhat trustworthy. <laughs> I say somewhat because I'm not perfectly trustworthy. I know Maharus and to this day he has not deceived me. That I know of. I mean, he may have deceived me, but I may still be in deception. <laughs> but he is also not perfectly trustworthy. And God has called you to but to trust us. But what is it that you are to do as you listen to us teach according to what the confession said? What are you to measure our proclamation with? You don't have it in front of you, so... With the scriptures, is what the answer said. It is to match it up with the scriptures, to examine what we say. So you go back to the good shepherd and you listen to his word. That is what Barnabas and Paul did. As they were debating and arguing with the Judaizers, it said in verse 15, and with the words of the prophets, excuse me, and with this, the words of the prophets agreed. So they were checking themselves. They were referring back to the prophets. They were referring back to the word of God saying, what we're teaching here, what we're dishing out here is consistent with the very scriptures. And so as you are seeking out shepherds, as you are listening to the shepherds, you continue to seek the good shepherd. That's why it's so imperative that you are studying sheep that you are sheep that study the word of God, that you would know the voice of Jesus and that as you continue to hear how the voice of Jesus is going to be applied, you keep referring back to the words of Jesus. Nothing that I should teach in any authoritative way should be outside of the very proclamation and wisdom of the word of God. I want to go a little bit further, and I know this is a little bit challenging to go back into some of the confessional language, but it's so rich, and especially rich, because if you look at the Westminster Confession of Faith and the London Baptist Confession of Faith and the Savoy Declaration of Faith, they all start with a proclamation about the Holy Scriptures. They immediately go back to the words of the king and all three declarations of faith are all consistent with just a few tweaks of language here and there but they all are ultimately saying the same that it is the authority of the holy scripture it is by the authority of jesus they recognize by reading and knowing god's word that their proclamation, their confession, their assembly of sh- under shepherds are nothing outside of the Holy Scriptures. Follow me here just a bit. In the very first chapter concerning the Holy Scriptures, it says, Although the light of nature and the work of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, the wisdom, and the power of God as to leave men inexcusable. Where do you think that came from? Where do you think they, they're referring to on that? Does anybody know? Romans 1. That even very creation itself teaches the attributes of God. Yet, are they not sufficient to give that knowledge of God? It's, it, you know They're being Yoda-like there. It's, yet, they are not sufficient <laughs> to give the knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diverse manners to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church and afterwards for better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same holy unto writing, which maketh the holy scripture to be most necessary. Those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. So what they proclaim in the very beginning is that it is true that the light of nature, that creation itself, that everything that we see around us, the knowledge of people, the understanding of people, when we consider the human life, when we consider all of the creatures that are out there and we consider the realities of wisdom and just how things work, that that does teach us a tremendous amount about not just that there is a creator, but the very attributes of God's goodness and his wisdom and his power so much that that knowledge alone is enough to make us inexcusable for not trusting and believing him. But it is not enough for us to know how to be saved. And so it is crucial, it is most necessary that we have his word. When you are a sheep and you are in a desert and there is not enough to save you through life, you're going to look diligently for grass. You're going to look diligently for water. You're going to look for the things that are sustaining, that will save you from imminent death. That is the kind of sheep that we are to be called to be. We are to be hungering and seeking after this word. It is most necessary. You know, I was, you know, I drive here. I see a particular biker. I used to work with him years ago, and and I see him all the time. And I I imagine conversations with him in the past, and and he was he called himself a believer, and. And I think that you know he was the kind of guy. that's like you know I I see God wherever I go. <laughs> I can worship God in the forest. I can worship Him here or there. And and some of you may even think that too. I mean, we can. I've gone. I've been in the forest. You know, don't know why we go to the forest and think that that's the place where He is all the time. He's everywhere. But I've been to the forest. Not I mean, this is a very worshipful moment. I've been in the car. I've been everywhere. And and there are worshipful times. And it is very true. But Jesus' sheep says that you're not just going to just sense him, but that you're going to listen to his voice. You're going to hear his voice. You're going to meditate. You're going to hunger for it. And it says here that it is most necessary, and it is pointing to that because of what is said in his word. We have no hope. We will not live just sitting in the desert thinking, this is a pretty desert. God did a really good job with this desert. Isn't he so good and so wonderful? If you sit in a desert and contemplate about the wonder of God, you can sit in a field full of grass. And if you just go, oh, this is really nice. This is really pretty. You will die. A sheep will not not live unless the sheep eats the food, listens, dwells, meditates, consumes it, brings it inside, and lives by it. Point three of the Westminster Confession of Faith says, The authority of the scriptures, for which it ought to be believed and obey, dependeth not upon the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore it is to be received, because it is the word of God. So what it says there is that, you know, here I am telling you, That you've got to eat. If you're a sheep, if you are the sheep, you've got to listen. But it doesn't even depend upon my authority to tell you that. It is by God in himself, the truth in of himself, his word in of himself, that gives the authority to tell you that you must submit to his word. Because he is the author, that it is the word of God. Do we treat the Bible as that authoritative Life sustaining source. It is. And as sheep, we are to be studying and diligently listening, referring, checking, living by that very word. Now, point four here is very interesting in light of what we're thinking about today in Acts 15. It says, We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church. To a high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. Hopefully my sermon today will give you a high and reverent esteem. It will increase it. I'm not saying you didn't have it before. But hopefully it will increase your esteem and your appreciation for the Holy Scripture. And the heavenliness of the matter. And the efficacy of the doctrine. The majesty of the style. And the consent of all the parts. The scope of the whole, which is to give... All glory to God. The full discovery of it makes of the only way of man's salvation. The many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God. So it's saying, I can tell you all of these things. The church, each other of you, can point and encourage each other, and you should be moved and induced. You should be proclaiming in your different roles, in your different positions, in your different places and proximities. You should be pointing people to the Word of God. Yet, notwithstanding... Our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and the divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. That's a big mouthful of things to say there that you see that they recognize that they have this calling to be those who provoke, who proclaim. But we know that they are all useless unless the Holy Spirit is doing the inward work and bearing witness by and with the Word of God in our hearts. And so this is why when we think about the power that's being done here, because Jesus tells us to listen to the under-shepherds as they proclaim His Word, we know that the work that's actually being done, that we're actually trusting, is being done by the Holy Spirit. That's why we know that it's sustaining. That's why you can listen to me, and I can listen to Maru's, and I can listen to other pastors, and we can know the weaknesses that the under-shepherds have. We can know their incompleteness. We can know that their authority is limited, and we can say, through this particular work, because of the authority of Jesus Christ, we will be saved. And that's why when I proclaim after reading, that faith comes from hearing, and hearing... The word of Christ. That there is this amazing act occurring here that as you as sheep and I, me as sheep coming here to listen to the word of God that this wonderful event will feed us and will save us. And because of his authority and proclamation and because of his structure, this is how he wants his feet to be fed. This is the trough in which Jesus feeds his sheep. I am just a trough (laughs) holding and presenting before you the very words of salvation. When you are teaching your children, when you're teaching one another, when you're having a conversation with one another and going through and praying with them about things, referring back to be praying even according to the word, you are feeding one another, you are being troughs of the word of God. To each other. And here in Acts 15 they are recognizing that, they are proclaiming that, they're structuring this for us and understanding that they are accountable to hold to the word of God but also accountable to, to think about how to apply the very word of God to the Gentile Christians. They knew that the Gentile Christians in their particular day would be called up with idol worship with this Eating meat that's been given to idols and being involved and interwoven with the idolatry of the world. They knew that even in that worship there was sexual immorality occurring. They knew that the primary things of focus, that as they were coming to understand that Jesus is king, that Jesus is their Savior, that there were particular things that they needed to focus on, and it wasn't obeying the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament but to go back and look at the very things in the Old Testament that even the Hebrews had a hard time with, which was being interwoven with idolatrous worship, which often was interwoven with sexual immorality. Is this applicable to us today? Do the churches today, as they grow throughout the world, as they even continue on, as they change from generation to generation, churches that may have been established for hundreds of years, is there a problem with the sheep being interwoven with the culture's idolatry? Is there a problem with it being incorporated into the proclamation of the calling of the church? Is there a problem with sexual immorality inside of the church? And I'm not just talking about the scandals of mishandling things, but if you drive throughout our nation, how many rainbow flags are you going to see flying from the front of churches today and throughout this month and throughout the year? I know when they're going to go into a city... I go and I come home and go look at this cathedral. It's so beautiful. I've heard about it. I've seen pictures of it. And I walk up to it. And the first thing I see is a rainbow flag. And I go, wow. Are we being interwoven? Are we being tempted to give in and to try to follow Jesus, but at the same time be concerned about what man thinks? This is a temptation that's difficult for me, not because I believe in it, but because I don't know sometimes the perfectly way to apply it when I get things thrown in my face. I don't want to just punch people. (laughs) I don't want to yell at people. I want to be able to be a presentation of truth and gospel. It's a challenge. And so we see here that it is a work for us to do. It is a work for sheep to do, to keep going back to the Word. It's a work for shepherds to do, to keep going back to the Word. Here, they just write out, said, you know what? Just stay away from the meat that's sacrificed to idols. But then Paul, as I've said before, later on says, it, it's, it's not the eating of the meat that I'm really that worried about. <laughs> And so he's applying it in a different context because he's understanding the sheep. He's understanding a context. He's not saying it's okay for you guys to be interwoven with idolatry. He's saying that eating meat is not in of itself interwoven with idolatry. Eating that particular meat even is not even saying that you're interwoven with idolatry. But for these particular people, for this particular time, these particular shepherds thought, you know what, just stay away from that. Because it seems good to us, and it seems good by the Holy Spirit, that you stay away from that. But they were referring back to the very Word of God. Then lastly, in point well, next to the last point that I want to read out of the Westminster Confession of Faith, it says, in 5, it says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life, is either expressively set down in Scripture... ...or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture... unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge that the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary... ...for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God... In the government of the church, common to human actions and societies, which are to be ordered in the light of nature and of Christian prudence, according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. So here it's saying that again it is the scripture that's going to be what saves you, the what the truth in Scripture that will be what that saves you. It will be by the movement of the Holy Spirit that will save you. It will not be the work of the under shepherds, but that there is this calling for the under shepherds in the circumstances concerning the worship, the government, common human actions and societies and different things that are going on in life and how they are apply it. But even that wisdom in that application is to be held to the general rules of God's word. And that is what they're doing here as they think about in verses 22 through 35 they are thinking about their challenges they're going back to the word of God they're going back to the law of God and saying just as it was for those of old it is for you this are the, these are the things that you are to be focused on and then in verse 35 it says and Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also so as they took this letter they continued to point them back to the word of God. And then lastly, the closing statement of the Confession of Faith on the Authority of Scripture it says the scripture the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined and in those in, in, in whose sentence this is going back to the supreme judge, in whose sentence we are to rest, can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scriptures. The sheep are called to seek and to know Jesus and to trust Jesus on how to eat the Scriptures, how to consume the Scriptures, and also on how to show. to follow and to show the scriptures. We are to do what he says. We see that throughout all of the epistles from this moment on, they are proclaiming two primary things. They are proclaiming the glory of Jesus Christ's work, and then they're telling them how they should live, how they should structure their lives, how they should be husbands and wives, how they should be children, how they should be slaves to their masters, how they should be elders, and how they should be church members worshiping together. It is both the glory of God and the love of mankind in living out the very character of the shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered it in the flesh... Arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. It's saying here is that as we think about Jesus' death, like we did in the Confession of Faith today, when we think about His salvation, when we're thinking about His work, we are to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking. By ceasing from sin. If you are a sheep who is wanting Jesus, and I know if I asked you to raise your hands, if I said, do you all want Jesus? Who wants Jesus? Who wants to trust in Jesus? I wasn't asking you, but if you, you know, it's fine. I figured I was going to say all of you would raise your hands. I hope. And then it says here in his word, which we understand to be God's word, which we understand to be Christ's word, that we are to arm ourselves by thinking about ways to cease from sinning. It's not cease from sinning so that you can be sheep. It's because you are sheep and because Jesus did suffer, we are to arm ourselves in the same way of thinking by dying to the flesh, by dying to human passions, In submitting to the will of God. Who did that? Jesus. He died to the flesh, and he submitted to the will of his father. It says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry is it interesting that you have in there this idol worship and sensuality, this sexual connection? It's, going to, it's a theme that's consistent throughout all of the scriptures. Verse 4, with respect of this, they are to be surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. And they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached. Even to those who are dead, that through judged, that though judged in the flesh, the people <laughs> excuse me, let me do this again, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Don't let anyone teach you that the gospel is absent from calling people from obedience to Jesus Christ. That is the thing proclaimed. Everywhere I hear, from company emails to social media, that we need to just love people. God is love. Love is love. Therefore, don't, tell, don't isolate people or cut off people because they have chosen to be sinful. Don't confront them. I like what Jackie Hill Perry said, and she said that we are not to be a safe place. For homosexuals. Now, if you know Jackie Hill Perry, she was a former lesbian, and now she is a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be safe for them in what they are doing. They should not think of us as this is a safe place. Now, they are to see the love of Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the truth that they are doing things that are not pleasing to the Creator and King that is love that will bring them to safety we are not going to be safe to what they are doing but we are going to point them to not just safety but to a savior so as we follow jesus christ in obedience we will be pointing people to flee from their sins to repent and to believe to turn away from the things that are against the character of God. Verse 7 of 1 Peter 4, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers the multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each of you have received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks... As one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. This is in the same flow of words where it was saying flee from these sinful ways. Be like Jesus in dying to the flesh. Do not Continue on. Do not say you have Jesus, but then you consume your desires, you live out your desires, but take on Jesus by dying to the flesh. And then this is loving one another earnestly as you continue to do so without crumbling. And that's going to be the challenge that as we are called to love, it's going to be that the flesh is going to continue to creep up. And we keep pointing people back to the oracles of God, to the strength of God, because this is the calling of his sheep. In closing, in Hebrews chapter 13, it teaches us and begins with understanding what brotherly love is and how the church is called to live out this love. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Who, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it is good for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace Interwoven with all of this is saying that, this, that Jesus is helping us. The Lord is our helper. These are the ways that we are to show Jesus is, and to show love is by not neglecting to be hospitable. By having all of us to hold marriage to be an honorable institution. And to doing everything we can to keep the marriage bed from being defiled that we were free from the love of money, that we remember those who were imprisoned. And then it says that as we are saying the Lord is our helper, we are to remember our under-shepherds, those who spoke the word of God. We are to consider their way of life. We are to look for the fruit of their life, to see if it matches with the scripture, but to imitate them when they are leading us to the shepherd. Because in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is how Jesus Christ has appointed his church to operate. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage for you. Pray for us, for we, are sure, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the most earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Here we have what the life of following after the shepherd looks like. It has to do with considering the Word of God, obeying the Word of God, consuming it, living it out, living faithfully before one another. It is to look at the structure that he has given us and how he has appointed under-shepherds to be watching over our souls. Is it me who is watching over your souls and has to make sure that your soul is not going to be snatched up? By the enemy? No, it is Jesus who is working through these means. Working even through every covenant relationship that is appointed, even the civil magistrate, to be those who bring fear to the wicked. This is how Jesus shepherds his sheep. We are to recognize it and see it in this passage and to see it being consistent With all of the words of the shepherd. Because his work has accomplished this. His work has made it so. That is why we are to do this in remembrance of him. This feast that we are about to partake in is not there just to sustain you physically. It is to remember what work he has done. He has appointed this table. It is the Lord's table It is the shepherd's table for the sheep, for those who repent and believe. Let us go to his table, grateful, hungry for the shepherd's food. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the word of the shepherd. We thank you for the sustaining nourishment of the word of the shepherd. And we thank you for the humble calling to feed your sheep, your word, trusting not in us, but in the great shepherd, in the Holy Spirit to bring that food into the hearts of your sheep. And we ask that you would do that now in Jesus name. Amen. Now let us stand and let us praise him for all his many gifts that he has granted us this week.